Okay, guys, so I'm going to test you this morning, a little manners test. Excellent. Excellent entrance. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So here's my question. I'm going to give you a manners quiz. I'm going to tell you a circumstance, and you have to tell me what is the polite response. Do you think you can help me? Okay. Now, if someone is in my way, like at the grocery store, and they will not move, and I need to get around them, like what do I say to them? Do I just slam them with my cart? No. What do I say? Excuse me. Excuse me. Say, excuse me. Yes. Very good. Very good. Okay. Now, if I accidentally stepped on your toes or I accidentally hurt your feelings, what should I say? Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Right. Good job. Very good. Excellent. 100%. Well, you'll have to work on that forgiveness in your heart then, my friend. Yeah, you'll have to work on that. So uh, if somebody gives you a gift, like they give me a present, what should I say in response to them? Thank you. you. Very good. Very good. Okay, and last one. If I sneeze, what should I say? Whoa, true question. Because if you're sneezing, can I actually say anything? No. No, no. What if I sneeze, what should you say? bless you, right? If I go, achoo, and you go, bless you. Or sometimes people say, God bless you, right? Now, do you know why we do that? Why we say bless you? Isn't that kind of weird, right? Like you just sneezed and spit on me. Why do I say bless you? That's gross, right? Well, there are a few theories, but there's a theory, one of the main theories as to why we say bless you when you sneeze is a long time ago, there was a horrible thing, an illness that went around called the plague. Have you heard of it? The, the plague. I know it was really bad. And people would get really, really sick, and a lot of them would die because they didn't know, like, you should wash your hands. They didn't know when you sneeze, you sneeze in your elbow. Correct? Correct? Yeah, right. Okay. So the Christian leader of the church at the time, Pope Gregory the Great, he said, guys, if anybody sneezes, you need to say to them, God bless you. Okay? As kind of like a prayer, I really hope you don't have the plague and die. <laughs> and I really hope you didn't just sneeze in my mouth. Because then I'll die too, right? So you would say, I'm going to practice for a second. I'm going to fake sneeze, and you're going to, tell, you're going to give me the right answer. Ready? Uh, and you say, God bless you. God bless you. Phew. I'm good. I'm covered. All right. All right. Can you, guys, uh, can you guys fake sneeze? Sam, can you fake sneeze like super loud for me? Ready? One, two, three. Oh, yeah. Woo! Oh, yeah. Yes. God bless you. Now, so every time from here on out, see, we're going to talk about blessings today. And so now, you know, whenever your friend sneezes and you say, oh, God bless you, you know, you're saying like a word of, of kindness over them saying how lucky you are, how fortunate, how blessed you are. God loves you so much. You speak a word, a blessing on them and you pray they don't get the plague. Right. All right. What? Oh, that, yeah, you sneezed on food? Yeah, that happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that happens. I know. Well, thank you for your help today. And listen up tonight as I'm going to be talking about blessings and see what you can learn about blessings, okay? All right, let's give them a little round of applause for their help today and go back to your seats. Thank you, guys. You are so much fun. I like you. All right. Well, if you guys saw the little picture that I posted in the church Facebook group this week, you will know that this is a tough season for me spiritually. I mean, really, temptation abounds. Every time I go into a store, it's there. Uh, Albertsons isn't even safe these days, okay? And you know what I'm talking about. It's the fancy patio furniture. I can't escape it. Everywhere I turn, it seems like somebody else is peddling 
some luxurious like wraparound couch complete with crackly, you like the arrows? I pointed out all the features, okay? <laughs> all the features that I want. So there's the crackling fire pit and there's always like the coordinating pillows. And then there is like this matching table in the center that is always staged with some kind of like sparkly beverage and a fluted glass to coordinate with the cheese and grapes. Like there's actually cheese and grapes, how cliche, right? on that plate. But then there's like the casual weekend fedora hanging on the back of the chair. Tommy wears a fedora on the weekends. Did you know that about him? Yeah. And then in the back, just carefully draped over the chair is a hand-stitched blanket woven only from the hair of the softest baby llamas in Peru, right? <laughs> that is the good life, people. That is the good life. Now, for the past hundred years or so, this concept of the good life has been the primary marketing tool used to sell stuff, okay? Do you want to experience the good life? Chug some Dr. Pepper. It says, Dr. Pepper, good for life. Yes. I even, as I was looking through these old ads, I saw one that was from the um, National Soda Foundation. It says, how young is too young to start your child on soda? The earlier, the better. It is good for life. And those children have no teeth now. Okay. <laughs> but you want the good life? You buy the wingtip shoes. You want the good life? Buy this newfangled clothes washing machine. And I will say they were not wrong there. A washing machine. That is, ooh, that's the way to do it. But there are times you can watch a commercial for two solid minutes and only at the very end do you even realize, oh, they are selling me a truck because I thought they were selling me an idyllic road trip with perfectly behaved children in the outback of Australia where the sun doesn't get in your eyes and my problems no longer exist. And I find my true purpose as I off-road it through a dry creek bed. A truck can get me that? Sweet! <laughs> now sometimes it's a little bit more subtle, this peddling of the good life. Now, are you familiar with the concept of influencers? Yes, okay, yes, maybe some of the younger crowd too, okay. Um, younger than me, because this is not my scene. But influencers are people, usually on Instagram, but sometimes on other platforms too, who basically document very specific parts of their life in intense detail, like showing you their hair care routine every day, or how they plan their meals, or how they mow their grass in that cool zigzag pattern, or how to perfectly grill a steak, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it's all this carefully uh, crafted content using specific products that they get a commission from that portray their life as a life worth emulating, okay? See how flawlessly this Tupperware has been organized by this essential organizing kit, right? I cannot tell you how my quality of life has just skyrocketed since I got my Tupperware under control. I mean, I am basically a new person now. Just imagine how better your life might be if you too could organize your Tupperware. I mean, truly, your character would be transformed if only you could properly organize your Tupperware, right? It's the good life, brought to you by Procter & Gamble or Johnson & Johnson, or Ram Truck, or Target Patio Furniture. Oh. While the all-consuming world of mass marketing has certainly brought this pursuit of the good life to the fore, it is certainly not a recent development, okay? As far back as ancient philosophers, humans have always sought after the good life. 
Now, what that looks like and how we get to that point has certainly changed, but this general desire for human flourishing has not changed. You see, the pursuit of human flourishing is a core part of what it means to be human, tucked somewhere deep inside of who we are. Now, you've heard Tommy and I talk about this quite a bit before, and this one particular author, James K.A. Smith, writes about it prolifically. He writes about what we love and how what we love shapes our life and our behavior. And this idea isn't really original to him. It goes back all the way to Aristotle and even some to um, to Augustine. And Aristotle, way back then, he would say that all of us, no matter who we are, whatever culture, whatever time in life and space, we are all pursuing some kind of good, some kind of ultimate purpose in life. The philosophical term would be the telos. What is the ultimate um, end goal of human existence? And see, we are all oriented around a certain understanding of what is most valuable in life. And it is this desire that draws out a certain way of being in the world. So what we long for and what we truly love, it elicits a way of life from us. So more simply stated, what we love points our feet in a certain direction. You see what I'm saying? If I love... Crispy chicken patties on a warm bun with a pickle. Do you know where my feet are pointed? Chick-fil-A. Thank you very much, right? If I truly love and long for adventure and escape and new stimulation, then my feet are pointed toward skydiving or that next trip or rock climbing or whatever it gets me towards what I love and desire. Now, what are some of the things that we long for, that we desire? Well, some of us long for integrity, to live and walk in truth, to be known as I am a woman of my word, right? Some of us deeply long for and desire love, to be seen and accepted as we are. Some of us desire success, to achieve something notable so I can be a person that is notable. Some of us desire significance, to do something with my life that matters, Some of us desire competence to to be able to do what needs to be done without relying on anybody else, to be capable, right? Some of us desire security, to know that we are safe and that we are loved and we are not threatened. Some of us just long for belonging, right? Finding a place where I can fit in and where I'm valued as I am. Some of us desire just happiness, to be free from negativity and strife and conflict, to just enjoy life, right? Now, some of us desire control, to set one's own course, to steer the ship, and to be the leader we were born to be. And some of us just desire peace, to be free from strife and conflict and dissension. Now, does any of that ring true for you? As you see those words on the screen, does any of that call to your spirit? You see, whatever calls to us most deeply, whatever we long for as the good life, it points our feet in a certain direction. And you see, our desire for the good life, however we understand it, leads us down certain paths, down certain uh, choices to certain things, maybe to certain relationships as we seek love and belonging, or our desire for happiness leads us to experiences and adventures and habits, and our desire for success and significance leads us to take risks and to try new things and even work till we're dog tired just to achieve our goal. Our, secu- our desire for security reminds us to lock the doors at night, 
but also leads us to take care of others, to seek loyalty, and to be loyal. You see, we act out our love. We act out our ultimate desire. And sometimes in healthier ways, like persisting in a difficult relationship for the sake of love, and sometimes in toxic ways, like scrambling after that position or scrambling after that title or that stuff that indicates status or a know-it-all posture. But here's the rub. Our pursuit of the good life on our terms is always pocked with damage because our self-centered nature is directing us. Because the pursuit of the good life becomes about me entirely, about my desire and my family and my agenda and my life. And however we seek the good life, it's contagious. James K. Smith says, this is not something that is taught, but is something that is caught. You see, we live our lives oriented around certain understandings of the good life, certain values, and we live into that vision of the good life. And that embodied example shapes our kids. It shapes our families. So if you want to look at what you really value, look at what your kids value. It might give us some insight into what we value without even knowing it, right? A little scary. But most of what I've described this morning, like this desire for integrity and peace and love and belonging and happiness, all of those things, they're not bad. They are core human desires. But what if, what if these desires and our often broken pursuit of them are but shadows of something greater? What if we were made for more than just an eternal hustle toward security or competence or success or even peace? What if the good life goes beyond ease and comfort and peace, About goes beyond getting what we want without too much trauma, goes beyond our desire? What if the good life goes beyond patio furniture and the truck and the right hair care regimen and the right house and the right job and the right title and the right income? It must. And you know how I know? Because none of the stuff that we aspire to as the good life, as the ultimate end of existence, none of it holds in the face of pain, in the face of loss, in the face of tragedy, in the faces of the sins that we commit and the sins that have been committed against us. None of it holds. It cannot bear the weight of our disorientation and destruction. No possession, no relationship, no title, no pile of money, no status, no victory can mend the brokenness in us and around us. It cannot heal. It cannot save. So if there's more, what might God have to say about the good life? What is a biblical vision of the good life that can hold both our sorrow and our joy and lead us into a good future in which we become who we were meant to be? What does a good life, what does a life look like when one's feet are pointed in the direction of the kingdom of God? What is the good life for us, for resurrection people who claim to have staked our lives on the fact that the tomb is empty? What might it look like for our lives to be oriented around an eternally wounded lamb that submitted unto death for the sake of love instead of around violence and retribution and pursuing one's rights? What would it look like if our minds and our hearts were more shaped 
by the promises and declarations and laments and celebrations of the Psalms than by the cable news channel of our choice. Pick a side, I don't care, because idolatry bats for both teams. Now, what would it look like if our lives were shaped by a servant king instead of around up hunger for power and coercion? What kind of good life might be found in this upside down way? Now, for the next four weeks, we'll be seeking a biblical vision of the good life through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Now, you can turn there if you want to. We'll read there in just a second. So, yeah, go ahead and turn there. I need to get a drink of water. <clears throat> See, the Sermon on the Mount is not just a lengthy list of to-dos or a handy-dandy how-to notebook, Right? The vision that Jesus gives us in these three chapters of Matthew give us a vision of shalom, of peace. And not just peace as in like the absence of war, but peace as in true peace, what the world is rightly ordered. Humans are rightly ordered with God, right? Through this loving, love-fueled, trusting obedience and partnership with God. Shalom is the right order of relationships between people. I'm serving one another and blessing one another and caring for each other and not putting one's own needs above the needs of others. Shalom is creation rightly ordered. And the Sermon on the Mount is going to give us a glimpse of that today. So we're going to begin in chapter 5. Now, most of us are very familiar with the Beatitudes, the blessed are the section, right? And some of us are so familiar with it that it no longer startles us. And so when I read this, I don't want you just to hear, oh, blessed are they that. I want you to think instead, how lucky. Oh, my goodness, how fortunate. Hashtag blessed, right? Because that's what that word means. So we're not doing anything crazy here. The crazy thing is what the text actually says. So let's hear the word of the Lord this morning with all that in mind. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you all falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How lucky you are when you are poor in spirit, depressed and discouraged and anxious and afraid. How lucky you are when you are grieving as though your heart were rent in two. How lucky you are when you are powerless and you have no ability to fix what's broken. How lucky you are when you are starving, dying of thirst for a word from the Lord. How lucky. Now I'm just going to say it. That sounds terrible. That cannot possibly be the good life. How lucky, you say? How fortunate, 
how blessed, how favored by God. Now, like you, I've heard this text preached in many different ways. And oftentimes, preachers, including myself, sometimes slip into this unfortunate habit of taking, making every text prescriptive when it's really descriptive, okay? For example, to read this text prescriptively is to say, hey, you should really be more meek, so get out there and be more meek, right? Or, hey, you should be really hungry for God, so get on out there and work up an appetite, right? Prescriptive is here, take this pill, do this thing. But this text isn't prescriptive. It's descriptive. It's telling us, describing something to us. And what is it describing? It is describing the reality of creation as it currently is, longing for redemption and offering us God's response to that. But we're going to get there. But before we can take one step further into this conversation about the good life, this pursuit of the good life, we have to remember this as we read all of these difficult things in the text. Blessed are the poor in spirit and the mourning and the grieving and all those things. Remember this. There is no good life without honesty. After four and a half years, you know this is a hill on which I will die. There is no hope. There is no future. There is no good life unless we will look reality in the face. Because otherwise, we're pretending. Because you know as well as I do, poor in spirit happens. Mourning and grief, it happens. Being powerless happens. Being so disconnected from God that you feel like a wanderer lost in the desert, it happens. And no amount of sassy patio furniture is going to make that okay. No status, no income, no relationship, no information, no adventure, no thrill will make it okay. It will wear us out, it will drain us dry, and it will leave us longing for more. And so Jesus, he begins to unveil this image of the good life for us, of a life oriented around the kingdom of God with feet pointed in the right direction by pulling back the curtain and exposing life and its wounded underbelly. But, and this is just so like him, Jesus does not leave us there, does he? through the transformative power of the inbreaking kingdom of God and whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we are redeemed. It says, how lucky are the poor in spirit and the depressed and the anxious and the afraid. Why? Because to you belongs the reign of God. The God who came in vulnerability and weakness because in your weakness, he is made known. How lucky you are when you grieve, when your heart is torn into a thousand pieces. Why? Because in that space of great loss, there is room for the healer to enter in. You have no illusions of being able to heal yourself. You are free from the burden of pretending that you are anything but desperately in need of a savior. How lucky you are. How lucky you are when you are powerless and unable to fix what needs fixing, when you are brought low and you are humbled, because that is when you are most open to the Lordship of Jesus. When you are most like our humble Savior and you will be co-heirs with him forever. How lucky you are. When you are starving for a word from the Lord, when you are parched for a sign from heaven, when you are desperate for God to break into the world, because then you will have the right kind of appetite. 
for the nourishment of God that will fill you and all of creation through eternity. You know, maybe the good life isn't having all the pieces in place, having everything that we want at our fingertips, having all our ducks in a row. Maybe the good life is presenting up to God all that we have and all that we are with no hiding or pretending and finding there that God is so entirely pleased with you, so overwhelmingly generous with you, so doggedly present with you. Maybe the good life is longing after God so deeply in every circumstances that both our heart and our feet are drawn toward the kingdom way. You see, in verse 7 and 9, we see those tentative steps toward the kingdom of God, steps taken by feet oriented toward a deep love of God. It says in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, it says how lucky you are when you begin to spend freely and wildly the currency of heaven, mercy. For you have been shown so much mercy. And you will no doubt be in need of more. How lucky you are when you set your heart on God and God alone with eyes fixed on God. You will begin to see, to truly see and know God as he truly is, not as we imagine God to be, right? How lucky you are when you pursue the path of peace, when you reject the need to be right, when you make amends, when you forgive even when they're not sorry, when you go out of your way to reconcile broken relationships. How lucky you are when you walk the way of shalom because that is when you will live into your true identity as a child of God. The way of peace. How lucky we are. When people react against you and your pursuit of God, when people take offense at your rejection of the standard good life with all its trappings, when people push you away because you see the world differently, when you value different things, when you orient yourself around the kingdom, how lucky you are because you are already a citizen of the inbreaking kingdom of God. How lucky you are. When people mistreat you, when they sully your reputation, when they make your name mud because you worship a crucified king. How lucky you are because God sees you. You are not forgotten. And you will be remembered from now through eternity. The good life. It's not what we think. And it's not what we expect. And it's not even what we wanted. It feels disruptive because it's not comfortable. It doesn't feel like a path to success or comfort or ease. But this biblical vision of the good life isn't actually about us at all. It's about a king and a kingdom. And a call to walk in the light of that kingdom. Now, I'm not here to take away your patio furniture or your truck or your Dr. Pepper to trash talk your politics or tear down your hobbies. But what I am here to suggest to you and to me today is that maybe, just maybe, our vision of the good life might be pointed in the wrong direction. Maybe our vision of the good life is centered around ourselves 
and our own fulfillment, our own perspective, our own desires, our own agenda. What if we paused and looked at what we love, at what we desire, the things that call us forward into a certain way of living, and we held it up to this strange way of kingdom living in which blessed are the poor in spirit and the grieving and the weak and the weary and the starving, where blessed are those who fix their heart in God and move their feet toward mercy, toward peace and reconciliation. What if we held up our vision of the good life to that light and see what rang true? What if we would release our idols of the good life and find ourselves stumbling into the best life, kingdom of God life? Well, today we receive the sacrament of communion as we do every month, that celebratory meal by which souls are nourished. And we were reminded of our great need of a savior and of God's generous provision. Through this table, we are reconciled to God and to one another, and we are invited forward into this good life, this kingdom of God life. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to know any handshakes to do this. You simply come forward and you receive the bread and the cup. All of the bread is gluten-free, so everyone is welcome at this table. So hear the word as our pastors come. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen and amen. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for this good word for us today. Lord, we truly do want to pursue a good life, not one that is marked by our own desires and our own selfishness and our own agenda and our own plan. Lord, we want our life to be oriented around you and your story of redemption. Lord, would you open our eyes Would you redirect our feet? Would you call our hearts deeper into love with you? May the love that we have for you, fueled by the Spirit, make all other loves pale in comparison. And may our love be acted out in our life as we seek to be citizens of your kingdom here and now. We thank you that you are persistently present with us in the good and the bad, and that your way, your good life, the kingdom of God life, it holds. It can bear the weight of our sin and our hurt and our greatest joy. So do shape us into faithful followers, Jesus. Orient our love rightly that we might obey you more truly. In Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit we pray, amen. Would you stand to receive the benediction today? Beloved, Christ Church, may you go from this place and pursue a good life, a life that is oriented around the kingdom of God, and may your feet be pointed in the right direction towards Christ and his coming kingdom. Go in action and go in peace. Amen and amen. You are dismissed.